Walking around looking for my phone. Here it is. <laughs> Go figure. Can I borrow this, Miss Ginny? I will. Thanks. Oh, welcome, all of you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a week, hasn't it? Whew. Well, let me get my computer up and running, and while I do that, I will tell you. My name is Wayne Randolph. I am a part of the teaching team here at Liminal. I'm also one of your pastors, and I am 49 years old. I don't know. I feel like you had to get some more information. Actually, uh, I was at a memorial yesterday with family uh, celebrating the, the life of my father-in-law, and there were some young, younger kids there, and it was so cute to hear them. Uh, remember when we used to say, like, we were nine and a half or ten and a half, and I turned to one of my, I guess, cousins by marriage and was like, I think I'm going to bring that back. I, so I'm going to re redo that. I'm Wayne, one of your pastors. I'm on the teaching team. I'm 49 and a half. So just thought I'd let you guys know that. Um, yeah. Let me get this up and running. Cool. Um, before we start our, our segment, I guess we're on a series on the, on the Trinity. Um, we're going to jump into that shortly. Um, but before we do so, um, yeah, there's some, there's some crap going on in our world. There's always crap going on in our world, right? Um, but it seems, I don't know about you guys, uh, it just seems kind of like perfect stormish. It's just like body blow, body blow, right? And then, boom, it just seems like we're just getting hit with everything. Um, in particular, um, the stuff going on in Israel and Palestine. Um, I have to assume that there's an invitation out there for you to pick sides I have to assume that you have family members or friends or coworkers um, who, when this subject comes up, because it's a topic right now, um, that it is, again, quite easy to go into why someone is more justified than the other or why one group is um, less human than the other. Um, it's my own opinion, but all in an attempt to justify our actions. Um, I would be such a hypocrite today, especially what I'm going to be sharing with you guys, uh, if we didn't just sit and pause and invite the Trinity, the triune God, uh, into our experience with this information, into that experience. Uh, invite the triune God to be our mind, to be our filter, um, yeah, so we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to start with some time of prayer and quiet, a little bit of lament. And those of you that are used to me, you've come around more than once, uh, you know I'll probably start with our chant. So if we can get it up there, that would be awesome. It'll come. You guys know it. So we're going to do a little chant that is, uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, I'd love it, um, but it's, be still and know that I'm God, be still and know that I am, be still and know, be still and be. And the invitation here, uh, if that's not obvious, <laughs> is to be still 
is to be present. Uh, We acknowledge again the chaos in the world this week, the chaos in our own uh, individual experiences and our own stories of the week. Again, whether that's chaos at work or with family, with finances, (laughs) whatever it may be, Um, let's pause, get grounded. As one of my teachers likes to say, let's, let's go down and in and see what we can receive. So again, feel free to chant along with me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. God, for those that are experiencing pain and suffering and death, we cry out mercy. Creator God, for those that are experiencing death and division, we cry out wholeness and restoration. God, for those who are planning revenge, we speak peace and grace.
God, there are mothers who are bearing their children. There are families with empty spots. They are all your children. God, forgive us for picking sides. Forgive us for doing this us and them crap. May we sit with you a relational God, a triune God. May we sit with you and see that. Jesus, our eternal Christ, when you were here on earth, you prayed, Father, may they be one. So God, that's our prayer. I confess my anger and my disgust. I confess my sense of hopelessness to you. That's my complacency to you. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. (sighs) Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God, we groan, we ache, we're frustrated, we're exhausted. I'm over it. 
God, I pray that our knowledge of you would increase, that our understanding of you would increase, not for our own personal salvation, but for the salvation of all humankind. May we recognize that our salvation is wrapped up in the Palestinian, in the Jew, in the Muslim, in our enemy. May we recognize our oneness, God, in you. And may we act accordingly. Forgive us. Amen. I don't even know what to do now. Can I get a tissue? I'm so sorry. I don't want boogers. <laughs> Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Talk amongst yourselves really quick while I make a loud noise. <laughs> oh, man. I think the volume went down during that, too. Thank you. <laughs> that was really nice of you guys. How considerate to our guests. Uh, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here, whether in person or online. Again, my name is Wayne, and I am tasked with talking a little bit about the Trinity today. And I uh, couldn't do that unless I first acknowledged. Catherine, thank you so much. Brian, thank you so much. Uh, as Jenny pointed out, if you read the email, I will probably allude to Richard Rohr at some point today, and by some point I mean probably all of it. Um, and there was uh, something that he said recently in a talk that I was listening to. I'm trying to find a place where that light's just not killing me. Um, and it made me think of you, Catherine, uh, because Rohr, uh, so he was talking about the the this oneness talk uh, that Jesus talks about. We're going to get into it. Um, this oneness, you know, I'm in you and you are in me. Um, and Roar laughs and says, man, it, and it only took us humans 300 years to sit down and try to even just flesh out what that means, get some words on paper. So again, thank you for the history lesson. That was 300 years and two Sundays. That was magnificent. And then the other thing I think I'd like to say at the out front, uh, before at the outset, before I, I get going, is his follow-up was um, he's also fairly certain that as we move into the fo- into the future, as we progress and look back on these first two thousand years of Christianity, that it will be known as the baby stage and the infant stage of Christianity. And his claim that I'm fairly certain I've bought into. His claim is that if Christians really would sit with the Trinity, that it would get rid of racism, sexism, ageism, classism. That's a big claim, friends. As an idealist and one who just confessed in front of you that I'm over it and want to see change, I want to lean into this claim. So what I'm not going to do today is somehow explain how to see the Trinity in everyday life. Uh, You know, I've got 20, 25 minutes to do so. Uh, What I am going to do is absolutely point you to a fantastic book, The Divine Dance. Boy, just just pull that guy out, huh? (laughs) I highly, highly recommend. This is Roar's book, The Divine Dance. The Trinity and Your Transformation. 
he expands on this claim that if we really sat with and understood it, that, that things would change. And he also makes the claim that for the most part, most Christians, if we really listen carefully, are far more monotheistic, one God. And we kind of talk a little bit about this triune God. And he even goes as far as to say, and this might be a little cynical, but if the theology of the Trinity was taken out today, that most of us in the pews wouldn't even bat an eye. You read the book and decide. But today, I do want to lean into that claim that if we understood the Trinity, if we can sit with the Trinity a little bit more, maybe we would understand uh, how to do this unity thing better. Oh, goodness. Sorry, I just lost all my stuff on my screen. You know what that's like, Catherine? (laughs) It's annoying, huh? Oh, goodness. Yeah, that is kind of scary. Where are we at? Can you go to the next one just so I can see it? Is it Shema? Okay, cool. I kind of remember. So, uh, how many of you have heard this word Shema before? Out of curiosity. Yeah, cool handful of you. So Shema in Hebrew is listen. It's also known as, uh, there's a very uh, specific prayer in Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 4 uh, through 9, and then through some other parts. Uh, But Shema in Hebrew means to listen. It's the first word of uh, this text. And I think it's important that we start here. So I'm going to show off by speaking the first line, and then I'll confess It's just showing off because I don't know the next line in Hebrew. (laughs) So, Shema Ya Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord one. In English, in our English translations, it will say the Lord is one. In Hebrew, just listen. The Lord our God, the Lord one. I just want to start with that for you. This is a prayer, by the way, that is said every morning, every night, over their children. Uh, it is the most recited verse in all of Scripture today, thanks to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And we're going to explore some of that oneness right now. Again, I'm kind of scrambling because I don't know what the next <laughs> slide is. invite you to close your eyes if you'd like to, or read along. Uh, We're not reading to get to the end, but we're reading uh, to experience. One alone is not by nature love, or laugh, or sing. One alone may be prime mover, unknowable, indivisible, all. And if everything is all, and all is one, one is alone, self-centered, not love, not laugh, not sing. Two, yin and yang, dark and light, male and female, contending dualism, affirming evil and good, 
and striving toward balance. At best, face-to-face, but never community. Three, face-to-face-to-face. Community, ambiguity, mystery. Love for the other and for the other's love. Within, other-centered, self-giving, loving, singing, laughter. A fourth is created, ever-loved and loving. This is the opening to, uh, it's not even opening to the book, it's literally the opening uh, to the foreword. I'm thankful that I have the book in front of me because I wouldn't have remembered the dude's name. But it's Paul Young, who maybe some of you know the name, but he is the author of The Shack. This is how he opens this book, uh, The Divine Dance, talking about the Trinity, explaining to us why one doesn't work, what happens when we have two, and why three, the rule of three. If Scripture, if we, if we take it um, to heart... The invitation is to know that three is the center of it all. At the center of the universe is three. At the center of the universe is this relationship. And that's what we're going to explore today. So I mentioned uh, a second ago there that um, it took 300 years of early church history, early Christian history before we even started trying to articulate this concept and idea of Trinity. It took us 300 years before we could finally start to understand or even grasp what some of these words are really more the concepts themselves, what they meant. I stand before you today as someone, I know I've shared some of these verses with you, but um, these verses are the ones that have kept me in I think I've shared this with you guys, but I was ready to be out. I was ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I was ready to say deuces to all of you. Well, actually, it was before I met you. But, <laughs> um, but it's this mystery, this, this invitation into unity, this invitation into this dance that we're going to explore a little bit today that is so, I don't know, attractive. <laughs> so I want to go to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. There's nothing wrong if when you've read this and try to interpret it, if the emphasis for you has always been on Jesus I mean, it's the opening of the Gospel of John, which is about the life and teaching of Jesus. There's also a much larger invitation here, asking us to maybe think creatively about how the world works. So if you're okay with it, uh, there it goes again. (laughs) If you're okay with it, uh, and I'm okay with you guys calling me a heretic, if 
because I want to change a word in there for you. But uh, for the sake of today, I'd like to throw another word in place of uh, the word. So if we could read this together. Well, not together, but read it in your mind. So I'll read this to you guys. In the beginning was the blueprint. And the blueprint was with God. And the blueprint was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. The blueprint became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. How's that sit for you guys? Like, sincerely, like, I'm, it's not just a question, but like, how does that sit for you guys to, to throw blueprint in there? Are you guys okay with that? All right. You know, I got some thumbs up? Cool. I hope we're the kind of place that someone's like, no, I hate that. Like, I hope that we're the kind of community that's like, I don't have to agree with the guy up front. Like, that's probably why we're all here. <laughs> yeah? No? I have a belief that it is hard for us to comprehend this and to, uh, to sit with this and to really, I guess, uh, expand our view. And the reason I believe that is because of this thing. Uh, oh, man, I'm always quoting Roar. I'm pretty sure he's the first person I heard say it, but I, I can't imagine he's the first. But this idea of scarcity or a theology of scarcity I've mentioned this to y'all before as well, but I firmly believe that this is a byproduct of the garden. This is a byproduct, and not just like uh, the garden, but like where we, we collectively, the body, the church, where we start our theology. Many of us have grown up in such a way that the, where we start our theology is actually at Genesis 3, which is... what is referred to as the fall of man, right? It really puts us at the center of the story because what will we do, right? Oh, no, we've we've blown it. What will we do? And one of the byproducts of of that kind of starting of our narrative is then we, we end up seeing Jesus kind of as this secondary thought or he's, he's what's going to help us. He's right. He's the savior, and it's not to say that he's not, but it really kind of takes out his role, if you will, in the Trinity. And it leaves us with a world of scarcity. It leaves us with a world where maybe some are in and some are out. It leads us into dualism. I don't need to go into stories. I'm sure we all have our own if you've grown up in this faith tradition. But that first uh, dualistic relationship between the sacred and the secular, oh my goodness, I bet we could sit around and just tell stories, right? How you weren't allowed to do this because it was secular, but you could do this because it was sacred. And the byproduct of this, friends, and there's a bunch of them out there, but the byproduct of this is that we are now deciding what is good, what is bad, what is holy, what is not holy. Eventually, we get to determine what does God actually like and what does God not like. And as long as we are on the side of the things that God likes, well, cool, then we're in. This leads to things, again, like sacred and secular, Republican and Democrat, 
black and white, male and female, saved and unsaved, gay and straight, either or. Now I'm looking at my notes, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the whole taking the fruit is seizing autonomy from God, is seizing, seizing the power to define for ourselves that which is good or evil. And if you guys remember the poem, the creator creates, they create, by the way, right? Let us make man in our image. They create, and what does God say? It's good. He looks around and says, it's good. Now, quick little caveat there. This is not perfect. This is not static perfection. That's a Greek thought. This is an ancient Hebrew word. Good is full of possibilities. It's literally, <laughs> it's literally pregnant <laughs> with possibilities. The creator looks around and says, wow, there's so much here. There's so many possibilities here. And we came along and we're like, yeah, but that's good, that's bad. That's good, that's bad. You're in, I'm out. You're in, I'm out. You're evil, you're good. It's pretty stupid, isn't it? Can we just acknowledge it? <laughs> uh, if you listen to Roar talk about this at all, by the way, uh, every, I mean, he, he's, well, kind of like a lot of us. It's like just press play, right? It's like the same talk. Uh, anytime he's talking about this, he always follows it up with, and we thought we were so smart because we got to pick one of the sides, right? Like, and we think we're so good because we're like, we're on the right side and they're on the wrong side. And there's just, there's these like feelings and hormones and neuro, like there's all this stuff going on inside of us that like makes us feel justified. Like, yeah, check us out. Right? And then he just laughs and he's like, yeah, we're stupid. (laughs) So here's a quote from Roar. The mind chooses sides within a nanosecond. Once you give people a choice of two, watch your mind. Don't believe me? You will always choose one side to be higher and one side to be lower. That's why we still have racism, sexism, homophobia, classism, and all the other things that are destroying us. But God as a flow, God as a dynamism, an inner dynamism (laughs) that we call love, that is what was supposed to define reality from the bottom up. The reason this book is called The Divine Dance uh, is that when uh, our early brothers and... Well, there weren't really sisters at the... uh, Yeah. Excellent. This, I think this is why I like the Desert Fathers, because the Desert Mothers are always included as well. But, so early in the 300s, right, and our, our people got together, uh, and they, they tried to define this thing, this trinity. The word they came up with, periochoresis. Periochoresis. It's derived from the Greek word peri, which is around, right, like a parameter, like you guys think these, right, like... So that's parries it around. And choreo is to go or to come. But you also see choreograph in there. It's a little bit of a nuance in the Greek, I'll be honest. Like, Roar is taking a little bit of a stretch here. I have to acknowledge it. It's a little bit of a stretch to, to, to go immediately into dance. But the best that our people could come up with at the center of it all, at the core of existence at the center of the universe, 
which if you guys are familiar with the concept as above, so below, right? This like no matter how small of a thing that you look at, you keep pulling out and it just it keeps on revealing the same thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So even at our smallest core, this relational dance. Because the blueprint is a part of us. Because the text tells us that the blueprint was used to create all things. Everything. I wish you guys can see my view. Everything that was created has the blueprint. Everything that was created has the blueprint. Say with that for a second. That should blow your stinking minds. That should mess with your theology. That should mess with your atonement theories. Everything that was created has the blueprint. Nothing that was created did not come into existence without the blueprint, according to the text. So at the center of this thing is a dance, is relationship. At the core of the Christian worldview, whether you recognize it or not, if you've, if you've you know, said that this book, like this is how we communicate with the divine, at the core of it all is relationship. What's cool is that science is showing us that as well today. It's quantum physics that shows us, right, the relationships between matter and energy and that these things aren't interdependent <laughs> or independent, sorry. They're not independent. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. This is why it says the blueprint was everything that was created in the heavens and under the heavens. Existence itself is based on relationship, says the text. This gets us into the law of three. Um, I will plug uh, one of um, Roar's colleagues, uh, the Reverend Cynthia Bourgeau. If you have a more academic mind, philosophical mind, I dare you to get into that, and then let's get together and chat because, oh my goodness, is she deep. But she has a whole book on the Trinity and the Law of Three, and I'm blanking on the name, I'm so sorry. But uh, the Law of Three, why is that so important? So one, it's an inherent dynamic principle of flow, of movement. Again, this is not a static participation that we're invited into. It's a constant moving. It's a constant giving and receiving. How many of you like to get gifts? We cool? Some of you love to give gifts, right? I know that. My son said that to me today. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if he was just trying to earn, like, pastor dad points with me or what, but it's like, I really like buying gifts for my friends. I was like, that's cool. Think about the Trinity, though. Think about if it's constantly, like, constantly receiving from one another, do you know how humbling that is? Have you, have you been on the receiving end of, of grace, of more than you deserve? It's humbling, isn't it? Man, because there's this like, ego that says, no, I can do it without you. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> so there's this huge, humble relationship at the core of it all, constantly giving and receiving and giving and receiving. It's made, the law of three is made to undercut the law of two, which is always 
antagonistic, competitive, and oppositional. I hesitate to insert a marriage or relational joke here, (laughs) but I'm saying, (laughs) right? I want to read this uh, prayer again to you from John 17. Thinking about God and the triune God as relationship. One small caveat here. This might be just for me. I came up in a faith tradition that often repeated the mantra, it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. I think that's a start. But Jesus is one part of a triune God. And I would encourage you, even though these are the words of Jesus who is praying to the Father, there's some weird stuff, right? But I encourage you to not hear this just as a personal relationship with Jesus, but as Jesus' heart, one part of the triune God, the desire is that we would participate in that very relationship as well. In that poem, it talked about when there's three, that the love produces four. That's us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's not a real contraction, by the way. I see my typo. Sorry if anybody saw that. That they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I didn't think about this when I was writing this, but are you guys familiar with Ubuntu? It's an African uh, philosophy. What I do to one man, I do to all. Or a, a man is a man because of other men. When I'm saying men, women, by the way, uh, it's all of human, humankind. I don't, we've had enough men in charge. I'm totally down with y'all taking a turn. <laughs> but right, you got this idea of, of what I do to one, I do to all, that my salvation, I think I prayed that earlier, right? Like help us to see that our salvation is wrapped up in the other. It's not some personal choice I get to decide. and like No, it's all of us. It's all of us, friends. Again, this is Jesus' prayer, part of the triune God. When he's here in flesh, this is his prayer, that this whole thing, this mess, that we would be brought to some sort of unity. Roar talks about this blueprint or this oneness that we have with the divine uh, in a way that I think kind of works for us. And he talks about it as divine DNA. Quick caveat, what I'm not talking about is like ancient aliens or any of those shows, although they're really cool. And again, if you want to hang out and talk about that, that stuff, that stuff's fresh. I love it. So, but I'm not saying there's some crazy form. But like, if I'm reading the text correctly... Everything has a spark. Everything has a part of the DNA in it. Not just humanity, but the rocks and the trees. What uh, our Franciscan brothers and sisters might refer to as the first Bible or the first gospel, nature itself. 
All of it has the DNA. Let me read John 1 to you guys again, thinking about the DNA of God. In the beginning was the blueprint, and the blueprint was with God, and the blueprint was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. The blueprint became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of, as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This blueprint, this DNA. Just to hit it home with you guys, the opening of Romans. Uh, again, another fun discussion because that's a strange opening. But there's a conclusion that he gets to at Romans 1 verse 20, basically saying like, nobody has an excuse. And yes, you can look at this verse from one section about God's wrath and how no one has an excuse. And, like, and yes, I've been a part of those sermons. I'm sure you guys have it as well. But let's just look at the truth of this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities what we might refer to as like DNA today. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's hidden in plain sight. It's all around us. The invitation is there, as is the temptation to quickly, or in Rohr's words, in a nanosecond, the temptation is there to decide that this is good or this is bad. This person's in, this person's out. Expanding on this concept and idea of uh, God's DNA, if you will, this means that creation reflects the creator. In the same way, if you saw my son next to me, you would know that I am his dad in the same way that if you saw Sawyer, you know that that's Dan's kid, right? Like the creator or the creation reflects the creator. There is an inherent connection between creation and the creator. I already kind of mentioned this, but again, relationship is at the core of it all, at the center of the universe. At the grandest scale and at a molecular level. And as I said before, quantum physics is revealing that relationships between matter and energy, science and spirituality can finally communicate. <laughs> we can finally be on the same page. And it is revealing, excuse me, revealing the interconnectedness of all things as opposed to our construct of independence. And I want to say that again. I truly believe. This is my opinion up here, by the way. You don't have to believe this. But I truly believe that independence is a construct. And it's a huge value in our culture. And I believe that it is extremely at odds. At least in my life, it is at odds for me to understand the triune God. And it's also at odds for me to love and know you even better. And that's just you. I'm not even talking about my enemies yet. <laughs> As children of God, then we carry this DNA. Here's what I love about the, here's what I love about this DNA. Here's what I love about this idea that we're all made in the image of God. It doesn't come with any prerequisites. 
It doesn't come with any magical incantations. It doesn't come with any prayers or rituals you have to do. Roar's Catholic. When he talks about this, he's like, it doesn't mean you have to be baptized. Like, it's cool for you to be baptized. That's awesome. But it doesn't mean that you were, like, unworthy before you were baptized, and then you got baptized, and now all of a sudden you got the DNA. You either have it or you don't. Just in the same way that those of us that are parents in the room, we love our children regardless. Regardless. (laughs) Right? Regardless of what they do. Regardless of the decisions they make. Regardless of how much maybe shame they bring to us. We still love them. There is a divine father. A triune God. Who seems to have given us DNA to all of us. Not those of us who pray to prayer. What are some truths then about these, these texts, if you will. God cannot not see God's self in you. Let me say that to you again. God cannot see... Sorry. Let me say again to you correctly. <laughs> God cannot not see God's self in you. God cannot not love what God has created. It's a done deal. It's in the text, friends. You see how this finally makes everything belong? Do you see how this makes things fit? Do you see how this destroys maybe some of our our early level Christianity? Some of our entry level us and them theology? Do you see how this maybe even, oh, I'll just go for it. Maybe this even messes with, if you're still holding on to penal substitution atonement theory. Do you see how this messes with a concept of an eternal place of punishment? Because that would mean that at the source of it all, relationship, love itself, would have to use some of its loving energy to maintain a place where it could not love you. <laughs> what? I'm sure you might want to talk to me about that afterwards. I probably just pissed some people off. It's no longer up to you or me to determine who's in and who's out if we're all one. This is the invitation of the Trinity, is to experience oneness, to see oneness, to no longer see the other as the other. I didn't want to make it rhyme, but as my brother, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, guys, my thing is totally. It's like missing all my slides. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Shoot. I have to scramble really quick. How much time do we have left, Jeff? Am I at it? I don't know what the time that we're supposed to end at. I'm sure you guys all know that because I usually go long-winded. Yeah? Go. I have, I have a seven-minute video. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, let me just go. Yeah, cool. Well, that, it's not stalling. Like, you think it's stalling. I'm, I'm up here scrambling trying to figure out how to like, do this transition because it's not up there anymore. So here it is. I hope I have at least uh, brought a little bit of um, 
I don't think it's clarity. I hope it's curiosity. I hope that I brought a little bit of curiosity to the text, a little bit of curiosity to the Trinity. This claim of roars, that if we really sat with it, and I mean sit with it, friends, not like 2023, sit with it for like five minutes and then go, right? Like 300 years it took our brothers and sisters to come up even just with the words to try to describe the Trinity. But if we could really sit with this and be curious about it, and ask, how, how do I bring this into my life? How do I bring this into my relationships, into my interactions? Right? If God's DNA is everywhere, does that start challenging the way that I look? When I quickly want to start judging something as evil or somebody is bad or somebody is out, can I pause? Can I sit there and reflect on the triune God who invites me into relationship, who is relationship itself and invites us into that dance? At the end of this book, uh, again, you guys got to read it. This, this is it's deep. I just flirted with it with you guys. At the end of the book, he's got six or seven exercises um, in particular that are how to experience the Trinity, if you will. He's got some stuff that we already do here at Liminal. There's some Lectio Divina. He talks about the Yahweh prayer I've done with you guys, the breath prayer. He talks about these some other things, but a lot of the stuff he gets into is relational um, exercises. And originally, I had planned to do some of those with you guys, and it would have been, some of you would have been really frustrated and uncomfortable. So we're not going to do that. But there is a, uh, he also talks about the sign of the cross. And I thought this would be a beautiful uh, interfaith um, kind of thing for us to re-examine and reclaim. Um, Some of us who were brought up uh, evangelical Protestant, uh, maybe within that narrative, you were also taught that, like, you know, the Catholics are bad and... um, so let's reclaim that space. And so this is a practice, a video that uh, Roar is going to talk about, about uh, the sign of the cross and how it is uh, bringing the Trinity to your forefront of your mind and into your heart. And I pray that you would uh, utilize it in your day as well. I love you dearly. Let's watch this video and then I, I'll come up and do like the Christian prayer thing or something afterwards. Is that cool? Awesome. Let's check it out. <laughs> Uh, if we could maybe even do uh, or offer one of the exercises that we have in the book, oh, something that people wow. can take right now and experience that, that joy of connection. Wow. We have several, as you know, at the end of the book, mm-hmm. which would be most fruitfully exhibited here. Uh, what you want to get into is something relational, something vulnerable, <laughs> and something that implies movement or energetic flow. Uh, We've done this with gazing. Mm -hmm. We've done this with silence itself. Uh, What would you suggest? What do you think? You know, even something that I think would would lend itself to visual representation, especially for people that grew up Protestant like me, would even be your explanation of the sign of the cross and and what that looks like and and what that signifies as a simple embodied gesture of, of, of Trinitarian relating. You know, I have to point out, as soon as you said that, I saw a hummingbird right there in that cottonwood tree. They just have returned in the last few weeks. And for our native peoples, the appearance of the hummingbird, I'm not making that up, you just saw it, yeah, uh, was the appearance of the Holy Spirit. You know, for our native peoples, that's the image of the Holy Spirit. So, you've prepared me to talk about it. 
as you, you've all seen, sometimes at baseball games before a guy uh, goes up to bat, uh, you've seen people from the Catholic or Orthodox tradition make this unusual gesture. It apparently goes back to the second and third centuries, probably third after the, the declaration of the doctrine of the Trinity or the clarification. Well, here's the way I understand it. First of all, it's a body prayer. It's not a mental prayer. Now, if you always understood prayer as something mental or verbal, it looks like superstition, I suppose, to a Protestant, or something that's magical. That was unfortunately how we often understood yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, understood it. But if you'd understand it as a connection with embodiment and a blessing of embodiment and a recognizing that embodiment is the vehicle by which we know all these things, and it wasn't asking for the priest's blessing, it was me having the power to bless myself. In fact, Many Catholics will say that. He blessed himself. Mm -hmm. Now that's another good theological statement, that we have the power to offer, consecrate, dedicate, recognize our dignity, and it's based in here. It's not based out there in somebody else's opinion of us. Now, first of all, we start with the head. In the name of. Now, let me say something about in the name of. There's the hummingbird again. But uh, in the name of means present tense. I'm not sitting here in my own Richard identity. I'm standing in a different persona, a different identity. What I'm about to do, I'm going to do in the name of the source. Let's use different words for a moment, meaning the same thing. And for most people, we do think we are our thinking. We're very trapped here. And that's why most training in contemplation is, is training in letting go of our over-reliance upon this. So it's probably important that we start in the name of the source. Then we cross the whole body. We go down to the belly, or what some call the solar plexus. And isn't it interesting that there we say the sun? the embodied one, the Christ, the physicality of God, the materiality of God, localized in our belly. And that this is good too. Uh, This isn't inferior or bad or not part of the Trinitarian flow. In fact, it is the Trinitarian flow from the source to the belly. And then, now, Orthodox go from... Oh, yeah, right to left, we go from left to right. It doesn't matter in the least. Yeah. Sounds like that was probably a significant controversy once upon a time. Yeah, yeah, and it was. That's right. <laughs> that was all theologically thought out. So um, then you come back and you do this wonderful stripe across your chest while you're saying Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you've done a whole bunch of things. Maybe this won't grab most people. But first of all, you've created a cross, which would be the, the obvious. You've blessed yourself with the cross. But you've also included the horizontal and the vertical, which is the full gospel. The transcendent, the infinite, if you want to symbolize that by a, a vertical line. And the horizontal, which includes everything else. Our Franciscan motto is, my God and everything else. Omnia in Latin. My God and everything else. God is just another word for everything, really. That's not heresy. That's, that's the ultimate truth. 
So when you say Holy Spirit and while crossing your chest, I think you are trying to include everything, all of your vital organs, but both the vertical world and the horizontal world and say, I am now a part of it. I stand now, not in the name of Richard Rohr, which is just a one piece, but I'm standing inside of the biggest identity possible. And I, this is not something I can know with my head. It's something I can flow with in my body. Let's try that. I would like all right, to all right, let's that. do it. Okay. Together? Yes. All right. I'm taking my cue from you here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs> it works. Now there's three hummingbirds, really. <laughs> They're coming from all sides. What did he say? Three what words? Hummingbirds. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. I love that uh, Roar says he leads with an Enneagram type one, and there's so much space for playfulness in him. I love that. Uh, friends, it's, I've, I don't know if you've been able to track. I've been a little bit scattered up here because of this. I'm sorry. Um, I hope at the very least uh, that you are interested, curiously interested in taking a deeper look into the, into the Trinity. Um, I, oh, man, read the book. Or maybe we just need to do another book club or book study. I think that's not a book club. Um, and I hope that you would uh, consider that prayer of Jesus's about being one and that you would make it your own. Um, I need this selfishly because I hate what's going on in the world. And I need you guys to step up so that you encourage me to step up too because we're all in this together, amen? If you'd be willing to do the sign of the cross with me, to claim that identity, to claim our position in that dance. So... Thank you guys for being here today, and it is in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit that I love you, and I find my love for you guys. (laughs) All right.